Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Vertical Podcast. I'm your host Andy Kirkpatrick. This is the Tuesday episode, um, uh, which I call Higher Education, where I talk uh, about gear and techniques and basically answer people's questions. Um, I, I probably n- try not to ramble too much uh, on this episode. Uh, ramble more on a on a Thursday stroke Friday. Uh, uh, thanks for all the like the previous um, the 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 podcast I did on on Friday Thursday Friday because I'm 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 uploading it in um, in a different time zone so for me it's anyway I'm just, I'm trying just trying to sound like I'm really exotic now you know um, yeah so anyway so so I was I was kind of a bit I think I was a bit scared actually so the the last the last podcast I did was kind of touched on the subject of minorities in the outdoors and kind of uh, I always have this thing where you know like you want to be so you want to be popular and you want everyone to like you and you you know so there's that in the core in my in the core of my being is that thing everybody has where they want to be accepted and loved and idolized and people to like them but then I've also got like a part there's always got this part of me that also just wants everyone to like fuck off and just to um, you know, like just just ruin everything, like the sort of self self destructive kind of side, which is actually the side which is probably the more in, the more interesting sort of side of your personality. Um, yeah, the subject of self destruction is like an an interesting one to 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 explore. Um, I think Thomas Alex Huber once once told me that my problem was I tried to self sabotage everything I did. Like even why would you if you you know if you can't write. You know why would you why would you, why would you try and make a living as a writer or you know if you go into Antarctica why would you try and climb the highest mountain with people who weren't climbers and things so um, so yeah so you know so you're trying you're trying to do this uh, this podcast thing and my my numbers are going up and getting lots of good feedback you know and you're like 11, 11 episodes in or more, more than that probably and then you just you just do something about minority participation in the outdoors which probably like I have quite a lot of um I have quite a lot of people who support my work like writing and stuff on on PayPal so they just give me like a, a dollar a euro like every single month and it's not like a huge amount of money but uh it does uh it covers a little bit of like hosting you know like things like this cost money you have to host it and the website costs money and things uh, and anyway, so after after did that post, after did that post, uh, quite a few people on cancelled their um, their you know their support of the thing, which is which is fair enough. And I always I always I always try to make the point, although I never I know, although I never sort of say thank you when people I do, I try to say thank you when people 
give a donation, but I, I have a lot of emails. Uh, I always I always kind of make the point of saying thank you when people decide not not to do it anymore, um, <laughs> which is probably like some sort of I don't know what passive aggressive is, but I I think it's probably a passive aggressive thing to do. But uh, yeah, I was I was I was t- today I was like tweeting how. There's this thing. Um, I think it's actually. A, I think. I think it's actually. A, I think it might be something I noticed with Barack Obama. Actually, is where if 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 people if people don't understand what you're saying or they misconstrue it as something else, like as a negative thing, then you should apologise on their behalf. So I could say to those people who decided to not listen to this podcast or or whatever, I can say like, I, I you know apologise that you didn't understand my point you know <laughs> so it's a it's actually it's actually quite an interesting way of uh of doing it is like on the surface anyway going through life you know apologizing apologizing for everybody else for not really getting who you are or what you're saying i think so but yeah but i had, I had some really for for the amount of money you, you lose the amount of really nice emails i got about it like i'm sorry i haven't p- applied to ever to everybody but uh i had some really some really uh, good emails from people, and I think for me that's including my including my including my dad actually. Uh, I think my dad is like a lot of people who have known me a long time. Like my dad's known me as long as anybody else in the on the planet. I think a lot of people probably thought I'd gone a little bit mad uh, in the past. In fact, my dad probably n- n- knows that I did go a bit mad. But he, uh, I remember him telling me that he'd stopped reading anything. I was writing, which is probably the most upsetting thing, you know, uh, that someone said. I didn't. I, he doesn't know this. He, he will now. But you know. But that that's it's uh, it's almost like my mum started. Uh, I bought my mum a phone maybe like two years ago, and after, after about a year, she finally got on <laughs> got on Facebook, and suddenly your mum is like reading what you write on Facebook. Uh, I don't think she's on Instagram, so that's okay. Uh, and suddenly I was like, "Oh Christ Almighty!" Like it's a bit, it's a, it's a bit different if you, you know, if you're telling people to fuck off, you know, on on one thing. But when your mum's listening, it's it just just kind of change it. Maybe that would be a really good filter that we all ha- we all have to imagine that someone is like, lis- someone is like watching over us, some, uh, you know, some somebody. Although I do, I, I often I do feel, if you're in like a, if you're in a in a in a boat that's upside down. I don't know if, you've, if anybody here has ever tried to like roll a kayak, um, or if you're in a yacht that's upside down, which is a bit more serious. But the point where the where the boat starts going back over again, because a you know a boat shouldn't really you know it should always like go over and it should like come back up again. And there's this point just before. Same with the kayak. If you're in a kayak, there's a point where it's either gonna go, it's not gonna go. But you can just tell it's going to go, and I do feel like the kind of the 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 mad the the kind of madness that's going on on in the world, mainly in this kind of social media and, and in people's heads. I feel like it's I, th- I feel like we are actually at like a a point where we are starting to turn a little bit. Uh, I know it's like it's but it's so subtle. Uh, probably most people can't feel it, and it might be totally wrong. Uh, so yeah, so I think there's like certain things that are happening in the world. Like I, I'm not supposed to be rambling in this one. This is supposed to be about gear, but I'll just say it anyway. So I've started talking. Is the the 
like I find I decide that I really don't like this thing about this, you know, this idea of being black pilled. Like we all know what a red pill is and a blue pill and all that kind of stuff. And it's quite interesting the idea that people who have been blue pill, black, red pilled, who then, um, you know, who then would actually quite like to have a blue pill. Like during the Matrix, is that guy who, you know, he's like living in this really shit reality. And he actually betrays everybody else in the Matrix in order for him to be blue pilled and go back into this imaginary world. Uh, but the but the black the black pill is uh, is I find that more disturbing. when people, you know, especially like people who have got everything going for them, who have this really negative, you know, like view of everything. Like you know, I think and I think what it is is uh, it's your your sense making apparatus inside your brain is uh is just uh garbled it's kind of like clogged up and and i think that creates this impression in people like people don't know who to listen to who to trust you know people have always trusted they don't really think they're starting to lose trust in them and you know political parties i saw um graham lynham who wrote like father ted it crowd work for brass eye you know, a really funny, amazing comedian, observer of human nature. I saw he wrote something in the Daily Mail the other day, and I thought, like, this is it. Like, when someone like that is writing something in the Daily Mail, like, all our um, compasses are all spinning around, like, you know, where where the hell are we? So, but anyway, so, but I, but I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's something, I think you, like, a, 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 the, the garbled um, sense-making stuff in your brain, like and that's just that is actually that's probably you know like the when you when you uh, you go through the of mourning you know you're going through this like process of mourning that you have you know do you have like it's like anger you know all these all these different things you know and I think I think you have this process inside yourself is that when someone is is coming out of their uh, programming you know whether you're a Catholic and you're becoming an atheist or you're you know, whatever. There's all these phases, and I think one of them is this kind of feeling of like, like confusion, and then despair, and then you have anger, and then you, you know, all these, all these kind of things. So if anybody's feeling like that, uh, just stick with it. You know, ride it out. You know, <laughs> see what see what happens and stuff. But just be open minded about everything. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah. That, for some reason, this came into my head. I, I climbed with this guy. Um, uh, uh, what was his name? Um, but he was, he was uh, Alan. Was it Alan? San Sandy, Sandy from uh, Aberdeen. Who was like he was a world he was a world expert on sewage pumps, and we went on this trip together, and it was like terrible. Uh, we went on this terrible trip, but it was a really good trip. We didn't do anything. I learned how to play chess, which was that was pretty cool. You go all the way, go all the way somewhere to foreign country, and you just learn to play chess. And he so he taught me to play chess, and that was really cool. And but he taught, I, he taught, I was, was you know, you got nothing to do. You're stuck in this hut, and I'm like, oh, tell me a story. And he was like, tell me about like um, sewage pumps. And I was like, well, what's the biggest? Uh, you know, like if you don't if you don't know someone, you know, you always like you always like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I make uh, I make syringes. It's like, what's the biggest syringe in the world? And then what's the smallest syringe in the world? And you know, so I was like, what's the biggest sewage pump in the world? And he said, oh, it's this one in uh, Turkey. And I was like, how big is it? He said, oh, well, it, it once stopped working. And when they, when they went to see what's wrong with it, there was a horse stuck in it. So, so yes, that's pretty big. I don't know why that came into my head. So, anyway, I'll stop, I'll stop rambling. Um, 
Uh, I was going to talk about, talk about lanyards today, but uh, I'm still working on it. Like, it's this is going to be like probably like the number one lanyard uh, podcast, uh, you know, ever. Uh, so, <laughs> but I'm still working on it. So, I just got I just scrabble together a few. I've got to do the washing up in a minute. So, just scrabble together a few uh, questions, and I thought I'd like whiz, uh, whiz through them. So the first one was from somebody off uh, Instagram uh, from like last week or two weeks ago. So it's like, uh, hi, I saw your post about feet and have some questions. Do you wear vapor barrier socks during the day? Question mark. Always thought it was something for the camp when you're not using your boots, shoes and what's tea tree oil. Oh, yeah. So this guy had read um, my book, A Thousand a thousand tips, or a thousand one tips, or a thousand fifteen tips, if you if you had the original version, because it was actually more than a thousand. But I didn't count them, count them properly. Um, yeah, vapor barrier socks. Now this is going to not be of much interest to most people. So vapor barrier vapor barrier socks are basically uh, like plastic bags. Like some people use plastic bags, and some people use specially designed vapor barrier socks. Probably Rab, Rab, Rab or Peter Hutchinson designs. They're probably the two main ones you're going to find. Um, and uh, nearly well, the the rab and the PhD ones, they're just made out of nylon, some sort of proof nylon. But you can also get a like a membraned sort of fleece version from that other company that's somewhere. Might forget I forget what it's called. Um, uh, anyway, another company makes like a fleece a fleecy version. But the, the the idea is that you it stops the sweat from getting from your skin like into your socks and then into your boots because in the past a lot of boots had sort of open cell form but basically like you know like just for ordinary form and then the more advanced high altitude boots had closed cell form like Evior light and that kind of stuff like like a like a sleeping mat. Uh, so the the ones that had like wool inner boots or they had foam inner boots. Uh, the moisture would just go in there and then they would like freeze. So when when you're moving, if you have like frozen boots or frozen socks, uh, it's not so bad unless it gets super, super cold. But it's when you're standing around a long time or when, you, uh, when you're bivvy. Like wearing vapor barrier socks is a really good idea if you're wearing like leather mountaineering boots uh, and you're going to do like a multi, multi days because they don't... Uh, the, you know they don't get wet as you know they're sort of wet out, and uh, basically when I think when you get like a hundred percent moisture, um, like inside the sock, then your feet apparently stop sweating. Whether that's true, I would say it probably is true because you know if you're wearing your socks like all day long, you know you'd fit these nylon socks. You think that at the end of the day you'd like literally the water would pour out of them, and uh, but it doesn't. And there's a there's a if you look on Gumroad, if, uh, the website Gumroad, and type in VBL and Andy Kirkpatrick, you'll find a free PDF that I wrote on there somewhere about vapor barrier socks, like loads of ideas. Uh, I, I've in the past I've worn vapor barrier socks with liner socks, and you can wear like thin wool liner socks or thin, you know, like a Mericlon sort of liner socks. But you want to be super thin because you want to try and dry out the inner sock. And it kind of makes it feel a little bit more comfortable having like an inner sock. But the problem is like the ammonia gets so bad in the sock if you can't wash it that if you're on like a multi-day, multi-month trip, then it's a bit of a disaster really. So when I've been on trips for like more than 
you know, more than a few days, I've always, I, I, I used to just wear the vapor barrier sock next to my skin, uh, which is kind of not what most people do. And then at the end, and then so so the the good thing about it was at the end of like a two month trip, I could be wearing the same outer socks because the socks never get smelly because the because you've got a plastic bag over your foot, and you think you would get really bad uh, athlete's foot and things, but if as long as you like just give your feet a clean every night uh, between your toes and things, for some reason you don't really get really bad bad fungal stuff, and I think the reason is is a lot of the fungus is actually fungus that's growing uh, inside the socks. So if you keep wearing dirty socks all the time, that's how you're going to get a bad, um, you know, bad, bad feet and stuff. And if you're not, if you're not using vapor barrier socks, then you should probably, uh, you should, if you're on a long trip, you want like a quite a big pan, and then maybe once a week, or whatever, wash, wash stuff like that, wash your socks, wash your your pants and things. Uh, you, you can, you can, you know, the pan you can use it for what for water anyway, snow and things. But yeah, it's definitely worth like trying to avoid wearing really contaminated uh, socks and things because a you'll get they'll give you blisters because a lot of salt crystals in them, but also they'll give you like foot rot, which is not good. Like I've had some like really really bad foot rot. Like literally, you could probably see like the tendons in your toe because the if your foot had rot, rotted so badly. Uh, it's amazing though. You, it's amazing how it didn't seem to bother you at the time, but. In retrospect, it's probably it's a bit grim. Um, so the va- but vapor barrier socks now, like on on Denali last year, uh, I actually used a pair of so synthetic like you know you know like a synthetic uh, like like fiber fill sock. So it was almost like a down boot, but it was like super thin. It was made by this company called Wiggies uh, in uh, Grand Junction. Uh, in the US, and they're super, they're really cheap, these socks. And if I, if you're going to buy some, buy the long ones. There's a short one and a long one. And they're, they, these socks are actually really good for, I'd, I'd recommend them for, for anything, and they're very good for mountaineering, wearing inside plastic boots, ice climbing, all these kind of things. And they dry super quick. Like, a lot of, like wool, people really like wool. The problem with wool is it does take a long time to dry, where a, a sock with more synthetic fibers in it does actually dry a lot quicker so you and if you go to bed if you do it you, know, you should never sleep in damp socks anywhere but if you did get into if you did have to sleep with your damp socks on you would find that if one was synth- more synthetic and one was um if, if one was wool then you the, the one with wool on it would be colder than the synthetic one because the other one would like generally dry a lot quicker and one of the probably one of the best socks anybody ever made was uh, Terra Nova made those uh, extremity uh, socks, which were had a high synthetic sort of content, and they were they were really good. They were sort of better than than all these sort of current mountaineering socks, which I think are generally made more for for skiing and uh, that kind of thing rather than mountaineering. So I think if you're doing like technical mountaineering where you can't really change your socks very easily, like if you're on a tiny ledge and you're sitting there. And you just your ass is on like something the size of a book. It's very easy. It's very difficult. It's bad, bad enough just trying to get your inner boots off your feet, but you know it's very hard to change your socks and things. So in the past, I've used like fiber pile socks on the inside and um, and various you know various like I've tried like neoprene socks they don't really work and and various kind of various kind of socks. But the the, the vapor barrier sock with you know, other socks over the top. I think on Denali, I think it had 
probably four pairs of socks. I had like this wiggy, wiggy sock next to my skin. It's not, you know, like a synthetic, synthetic sock. It's like two pieces of nylon with like synthetic filling, uh, but it's very thin. And then the Vibari socks and then two pairs of socks. And then I actually wore a, like a very thick insulated like tent boot, like a synthetic one, rather than the inner of my, uh, inner of my boots. So I didn't have any inner boots. I just had like the outer like Olympus Mons kind of boots. But that's for going down to like sort of minus, minus 50 sort of degrees. So like super, super cold. But as cold as you're going to get unless you're in space probably. Uh, so yeah, that, that's what Vibari socks. Like if you're going to go and climb on Denali or maybe Aconcagua or you're climbing and going to go climbing the Himalayas or the greater ranges... I would really, I'd really recommend Vibaria socks. Like now you have, yes, you do have boots now where they shouldn't really be absorbing that much moisture and things like Spantix and Olympus Mons boots and the, and the, the Scarpers are, you know, they, they're not going to absorb any moisture. But uh, you do notice a big difference. If you're standing around, you know, your feet, your one foot, the foot with a Vibaria sock is going to be warmer than the other foot probably. Uh, and also, the, the and the question was, what's tea tree oil? So tea tree oil, if anybody knows, it's uh, this Australian uh, oil <laughs> that comes from comes from a tree um, called a tea tree. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, tea tree oil, for some reason, it's got some quite good properties. In the, I I, use, I always used to carry it when I was on big walls and stuff because I find it's quite good to put on your toes, and it's like a a natural sort of disinfectant and it stops your toes from getting um athlete's foot and things uh, i don't know if that's i don't know if that if it's just me imagining it but it seemed to be seemed to be quite good uh it's, it's it's a good idea to keep your to keep your feet in a really good condition uh, like i'm a big fan of uh, bag balm which is i think you only get it in alaska i think it gives you cancer but it doesn't really matter uh yeah, and it's just like stuff for the udders of cows and that's quite good. Uh, another good thing to put on your feet is lanolin, which is a which is like another ver. It's just bag balms, like a like a type of lanolin, I think. And lanolin, you get that off 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 sheep. You'd have to go and get it, but it comes from sheep. And uh, Conrad Anker, he sent me a message saying that I think some of the sherpas they cover their feet in like pig fat or some some form of fat, uh, which keeps their feet warm. So I think I think if you can keep your feet sort of supple. And uh, it just seems to, you know, it's, it's just, it just seems to good good for you. A good sort of foot hygiene, looking after your feet, never go to sleep with your inner boots on, definitely don't do that. Uh, it's like a, you know, it's, a, it's very important if you're doing mountaineering stuff because you're basically doing everything on your feet, so yeah. And unless, unless, you can put your hands in your pockets, but you can't put your feet in your pockets unless, the, unless your feet have fallen off. So yes, yeah, so that's, so that's that question. Um, next question... Uh, my question, after hours on the internet and on your blog website, do you use a special device at the anchor to reduce the shock when falling on your gear? So this was, oh, this was a, like a soloing, um, rope soloing question. I don't know if anybody, anyone's out there who wants to go and solo a big wall rope soloing, not like Alex Honnold soloing, you know, like proper soloing. Um, is, uh, is often if, you, if you're thinking, thinking about rope soloing, you can often overthink everything and everything just becomes, you know, you just make all these problems that aren't ever going to happen in the real world. And the idea of like taking a factor, factor two straight onto the B layer 
uh, is um, is probably not is probably not going to happen, uh, and probably the B. Hopefully, you're going to be having a belay which has got like two or three bolts in it anywhere. So you could you could technically fall onto it and you'd be and you'd be fine. And so you, often what I've done, if you want to have a very soft kind of catch when you're soloing, is instead of like having the rope you know, tied directly into the belay, uh, the rope comes down and is tied into the hole bag. And the hole bag is suspended a little bit further down than normal. And then the rope comes from the hole bag back into the belay. So if you fall off, you're actually lifting up the hole bag, which, uh, you know, technically should give you a... A, a, a slightly more like dynamic sort of catch whether it whether it does or not i'm not entirely convinced but in your brain it makes you feel like you get it's a little bit safer and some people use will put like a ripper sling uh on the belay as well sometimes so like if you if you do fall straight onto the straight onto the belay it should be all right but if you if everyone has ever t- everyone's ever taken a fall onto a lanyard oh i'm nearly oh get i know don't get too excited i'm not going totally into it if you have like a Petzl adjust like lanyard, if you take like a, a fall onto it, you'll notice that it's not as bad as you'd imagine because it's actually dynamic. So if you take a you know like five meter fall onto the B layer, so you end up falling like ten meters, uh, there is actually quite a lot of stretch in in that ten meters of rope. So you, so it's not as bad as you think. And uh, if you have like a really terrible B layer, then potentially you could rip the B layer out, but you shouldn't really be doing. Anything like that, anywhere with such a beeler. So yeah, so that's uh, that's it. Like, don't overthink it. That's a that's a big thing. And nearly every problem you can think, every problem that seems like a big problem in your head, is generally uh, when you're there, it's not a big problem. You can just, you can just work it out. So yeah. So our next question: You have written in the past regarding Alpine Bibi solutions, e.g., give me shelter. I think that was an that was an article on my blog called "Give Me Shelter." And I was wondering if you could expand more on the Fowler method in terms of which bivy bag you would recommend and for using single wall tents, how to minimize the condensation on the walls and then keeping my sleeping bag dry. We have in the past covered the feet of our bags in our jackets. Is there anything better? Also, you mentioned a modification of your Black Diamond First Light tent where you cut the floor and replaced it with a different solution. Can you expand on that? In retrospect, not a concise question, perhaps more of a general question regarding an efficient Alpine bivy setup. Best regards in advance, Mark. So, um, so first of all, the Fowler method is kind of, I don't know if Nick Fowler invented it, but basically instead of taking, like if, you, if you're doing like mountaineering, like nearly all the mountaineering I did, although like I'm, uh, like the, the, other, the other day, I think I think you know when Donald Trump became uh, president. I think Jean Luc Picard, what's his name, Patrick Stewart. I think he said like this is one of the worst things to happen to mankind in a hundred years. And at the time, I thought it was a bit <laughs> that was a bit of a stupid thing to say. But he was actually promoting his play of Mice and Men at the same time, so it was just a way of getting you know some headlines for his play. And any but like recently, I just came up again. I just thought how how how. You know, a lot of a lot of bad shits happened in the last hundred years, and uh, it seemed a bit, you know, histrionic to to say something like that. So, anyway, so I shared it again. I was like, oh, this is this is the last time. It was this moment I realised I'm never going to listen to an actor or a musician ever again. And then someone posted like, oh, this is the last time I ever listen to an aid climber again. 
And I often get really, I often get a bit thingy about being viewed as being an aid, an aid climber. Um, like first of all, I consider myself as, as a, a climbing philosopher, maybe <laughs> philosopher of life. Um, I'd, th- I'd say I was a writer, basically, a writer who goes climbing, not necessarily anything else. Um, but the first, you know, when I first started climbing, like properly, I was just climbing in the Alps, and I think I think I maybe did like six alpine seasons, like climbing in the wintertime in the Alps, and climbed a lot of you know like hard routes, ice routes, you know, north faces, and all that kind of stuff. So I often th- I always see myself as an alpine alpine climber, not as an aid climber. And I only started doing aid climbing because I wanted to. Because if you look at people like you know like Paul Pritchard and Silver Caro and you know, Comrade Anker and all these like, you know, great, you know, Alex, you know, Alex Lowe, all these are great climbers. They were all aid climbers, alpinists, you know, all this kind of stuff. So that's why I, why I started doing it. So, but the, but my first, like when I first started climbing in the Alps, I only ever used a bivy bag and a sleeping bag. So you'd be up on some, you know, face and you'd, you know, dig a ledge and you just sit on there or lay on there. And it's kind of the same when I was climbing in like Patagonia and things. And then I think the first the first time, I think we, I think I got a, I think I got like a Bibla tent. I think I've written it down somewhere. There's, there's an article about it somewhere, but I, I got like a, a Bibla tent and like a single skin tent, and I started using that. And then I got one of these first light tents, and it was like a total uh, game changer because you know if you're on a mountain, in a storm or the spin drift or whatever, it's it's just like hell on earth. Basically, you're not. It's very hard to keep going. Because everything gets wet, your sleeping bag gets loads of spin drift in it, and it's you can't cook. It's just a total disaster. So these like really small, tiny tents that sort of came about, which can fit in like really, really amazingly small places. You know, you can you can even pit, pitch them like vertically and like stand inside them or sit inside them. You can use them in all sorts of different ways. Um, they like totally changed the game for me. Um, I remember we tried to do like the the Messner route on the northwest of Duats with Paul Ramsden. And we had this tiny little first light tent and we literally just pitched it in the most like amazing little spots, like really, really incredible little spots on this thing. And we ended up, we ended up pitching it near the top. We both got some sort of virus, both got really ill on the route. But instead of coming back down, we just kept on going up, went up the Messner, but it took us, it was, oh God, we thought we were going to die. Something like heart palpitations and everything. But we ended up like pitching the tent, like on a chalk stone, you know, in this like um, chimney. So really... Really amazing, you know these little tents, but they have some um, they have some limitations. But the Fowler method, like Mick Fowler, had you know climbed you know some really serious high mountains in the Himalayas and you know China and places. So he had this system where he'd have a a bivy bag and and a tent, and basically both climbers would go in the tent if they could, if they could find a place to pitch it, and if they couldn't, so sometimes you end up where you can't sleep in the same place. One person has to sleep further down or, you know, in a different spot. So for those situations, one person would take the bivy bag and the other person would take the tent and sleep inside the tent. And uh, it's a really good, it's a, you know, it works really, really well. Uh, it's a really good system. So what bi- the bivy bag combination is, the problem, the problem with bivy bags is that they just don't seem to work. <laughs> Um, they're kind of they're okay for like a night out or two nights out or camping in a wood or whatever, but for mountaineering they're just kind of they've always been the 
they've always been better than nothing at all. But generally, you always get this sort of condensation uh, building in inside them. But, but I mean, just because it's never, you're never pumping out enough heat to really push out all the the moisture. It's all going to sort of always going to condense and freeze on the inside of the inside of the bivy bag. Uh, if you've got so if you've got like a down bag, it's slowly going to degrade as you're going on. And that was one reason why you started having down bags which were covered in Gore-Tex or some sort of membrane. Because the the idea was, unless it was like really really thick and it was the insulation was so thick it was too thick. The idea was was the insulation, the heat in ba- inside the bag was going to push the moisture straight out into the atmosphere. It wasn't going to go through the outer fabric and then hit the cold uh, Gore-Tex of the bivy bag and then freeze. Uh, and and sometimes you know your your sleeping bag can be just wrecked. Like in one night you can just have like snow like everywhere. You know, like ice, ice all inside your sleeping bag, like super, super quickly. So, so yeah. So I think I, I just started using uh, like the the lightest sleeping bag I could buy, I could find. And the sleeping bag I was using for a long time was a a, a PhD Pete Hutchinson Designs uh, bivy bag, which isn't water isn't waterproof, but it's kind of um, you know like showerproof. It's definitely snowproof. And I've used I've also used the a Pertex, they made me one made out of Pertex, which the idea is we would just stop the, the spin drift getting into your sleeping bag. And that kind of worked, kind of worked okay. Um, but there isn't really, like some of the, some of the, like Event is actually a really good fabric for for this kind of thing, because it is very, very breathable. But but I don't, I don't like bags where it's like nylon on the bottom, because I just find that you do get a lot of condensation. It's not as, it's, if you're laying in a wood again and you put your sleeping bag inside your bivy bag, then that's then it's not so bad because because you know sleeping bag's not bre- sleeping bag isn't breathable. But I found I found that it's not as easy to do that. You can't really put your your mat inside your bivy bag when you're on a on a tiny little ledge, uh, you know, sitting on a ledge or something. It just doesn't doesn't work really. So there isn't really a, a good answer. So I think what I started using was I just sort of went over to using like a synthetic sleeping bag like i really don't i do i do have i do have some down sleeping bags but i tend to only use them in more like you know like i'll use them if i'm if i'm like i went when you know, like on mount kenya i used a down sleeping bag but i only thought i was going to be out you know for like two nights or three nights and it was fairly fairly dry and we and we had a, like a, a little tent you know we had this like you know we had a msr uh, tent so i thought it'd be thought it'd be fine and it worked, then that worked fine. And if, if you've got any kind of sun that's going to strike your tent, it'll really raise the temperature of the tent, which will also dry everything inside the tent as well. So that's a, it's a different thing. But if you're on like a north-facing face and you've got loads of spindrift coming down, the spindrift will get in your sleep, will get in your tent. It will be underneath your sleeping bag and it will wet into your sleeping bag and all these kind of all these kind of problems. So I've just, just gone to just using a uh, synthetic sleeping bag like all the time because... Uh, just just for anything where I, where I'd be on, you'll be climbing for a long time because you can literally like piss yourself. You can just literally pour your tea into your sleeping bag, and it's still gonna keep working. So, and I draw, and although you're gonna probably the penalty weight penalty is maybe um, maybe it's like a third heavier, maybe I don't know, but you you can like reduce that. Well, here you can just try and make everything else lighter to make up for it because your sleeping bag is. Probably the after your boots, probably one of the most important bits of survival gear you've got. 
and uh, and I've also done things like I made a quill. So I just had a quill. I didn't have a sleeping bag. So the quill idea is it like a blanket basically is a very, a very lightweight. It makes it lighter. So um, Ray Jardine, who made inventor of the inventor of the friend, he has a, a quill kit you can buy. Uh, from his website, uh, it's called the Jardine. Just to look, type in Ray Jardine, and it's not super expensive. And you see, you can just make it on an ordinary sewing machine. And I've made like quite a few because I seem to have, seem to lose them. Uh, and that that works really that works really well. I've used that on like the Eiger in like the, in like like you know like seven days on the Eiger, like trying to do the Russian route on the Eiger. You had this like quilt, and you can just wear a lot more clothes underneath it. Well, like, in a downseam bag. You, you tend to not want to wear lots of clothes inside it. Definitely should never definitely wear your waterproofs inside a sleeping bag. That's for sure. So it's, you'll just, it's like boiling the bag. It's just not, you'll never, you just don't dry out. So, yeah, so that's a long, that's a long drawn out reply to that. But there is no perfect bivy bag. I think the last bivy bag I had, I actually made it myself. So I just went online to, I think it's, it's a rip stop on the roll. And I think I just got some fabric from them. And I just made my own, made my own bivy bag because I think you just got it's got to be the right sort of size. Like if it's super tight, like for our for alpine climbing, you don't it doesn't want to be very you don't want it to be heavy, but also also you need to have enough room. You need to have a a cowl that comes all the way over it. You don't want something like a zipper cross. You need something where you can actually sit inside it and and use a you know like a jet boil stove like inside the cowl of the of the of the bag and stuff. But ideally, what you want to be is inside your your tent. So this was the que- the problem with the with all these tents is there's no like perfect solution. If someone tells you they had like a, a mountaineering single skin tent and they had no condensation, then basically they've not been not been using it. I'm right, just gonna have a little little drink of tea. One second. So um, uh, yeah, because you you've only got one. Like if again, we'll go back to this thing about if you make a tent out of um, newspaper, uh, it will get damp. You know, like it, the, the moisture will to pass through the newspaper, but it won't. It'll just get damp, and it's just the nature of a tent. You know, it's, it gets damp. But usually, in a normal tent, as everyone knows, the moisture goes through the through the nylon, like the very breathable or mesh inner, and then it condenses on the out, outside of the tent. So we haven't got an outside, so it's gonna it's gonna condense. And the only way it's not gonna condense is if you have like a, a, fl- a flow of air that's uh, you know, like a steady flow of air from like a rear vent through the top of the tent, and it'll just whiz through there. But generally, on a mountain, if you've got a flow of air, then you're gonna have your tent closed up because it's gonna be blowing and snow will blow in there, and you don't you don't want to do that. So. Uh, like cooking inside the tent can sometimes help. Like if you can heat the tent up, like you know, if you've got your stove going, you can really generate a lot of heat inside of tent inside of a tent. But then you have to be really, really careful. Like you don't want to be using like the, probably the most dangerous thing that's going to kill you in the mountains. It's probably not an avalanche. It's probably like carbon monoxide poisoning from using your te- your stove in- wrong kind of stove inside a tent. So if you use if you use a stove like if you have a like a reactor is probably the worst stove you could ever use inside a tent. It's like just pumping out tons. It's like using a barbecue inside a tent. It's just it's going to kill you. But if you run it without the pan on top, if you have some spare gas, if you run it without the pan, it's basically to do with the to do with the the pan and the and the flame. But if there's no pan, then there's, there isn't really any. I think there isn't any CO two 
carbon monoxide being produced. So if you just run it for a little while, that can really, really help dry everything out. And so last year on in Alaska, we got s- stuck for like seven days or something. And we uh, we didn't have any f- we, didn't, we didn't have any food really, so we uh, but we had a sh- like tons and tons of fuel, and we basically ran our stove in like all day long uh, in the tent. Um, like this is this is voiding your warranty by the way. This is this is this is my advice to myself, not to you. But we ran that stove like for uh, you know for like seven days inside that tent, and and just just to make it more comfortable and also just to try and dry things out a little bit inside the tent to make it more, you know, if you're just laying in, laying in your tent in like really, really, really cold temperatures and there's no sun, then that is like a, that is a problem. You are going to, ice is going to build up everywhere. So that's more of a survival thing. But, you know, no, no carbon monoxide. Like Vanessa had already had carbon monoxide poisoning on that trip, uh, which I'll, I'll go into, I'll go into an, into an, that to an, into another time. But, you know, so you, using like an artificial heat source to try and dry out the tent is one option, but the the best thing so is so I, I I use this I tend to use this technique where you know you've got your you've got your mats in. It's de- definitely worth having a, a system where your mats mate together, and you and you both you basically have to have your heads together as well. You can't sleep head to tail in a mountain tent. It's not really designed for that, and it's very claustrophobic if you're at the other end. And having a porch, either either one that you've like bolted on, like a, if you can get the black diamond porch, you can actually attach that to like the MSR tent. But you you really want a porch on these kind of single skin tents, really, because if there's any kind of bad weather, if you've only got like a door and you open it, like all the bad weather's going to come in. It's like it's a disaster. So you need to have a you really have to have to have a porch. And if you have a porch, make sure the zipper goes uh both ways because if you if the zipper goes all the way down to the bottom and tons of snow falls on, falls on your tent then you can't open the tent you're sort of trapped in there so you need like a good uh, a good system um so, uh, so we so we tend to like to this msr tent i've got at the moment uh first msr pro whatever uh is uh is really is a good tent it's like not perfect like the it's got like a little awning over the zipper and the, the awning's not big enough. And it's got like a few little things that are perfect, but it's pretty it's pretty good. It's as good as it's ever going to get, I think, for this kind of tent. And it's also a lot more waterproof than the first light. And I've used it in sort of pretty crappy weather and it sort of kept the kept the rain out as well. So that's that's good. I know the first light's supposed to keep the rain out, but I've never never been like 100%, you know, like, so it's, like some things are... Like a helmet is will pass all its CE tests when it's brand new, but if you do the CE tests after you've had it on your head for like six months, it probably won't pass. Like the super lightweight ones, so you know some things are really really water resistant when they're brand new, but not so much when you've had them for a while. Uh, yeah, so what what you tend to do is you get inside the tent, and then you use like your uh, your your shell, like your jacket, your pants, your belay jackets, uh, almost anything, and you just sort of pile it over the top of your bodies uh you're you're not going to be like moving around much anywhere you pile it all over the top of your bodies rather than using a bivy bag or something and then that means that a you're a lot warmer b a lot of the things which are a little bit damp dry out your body heat passing through them is actually drying out 
them uh, it also dries out your sleeping bag because it create it pushes the dew point where the where your moisture tends to liquid again uh, it pushes it out either ideally out through the, that clothing but definitely out of your sleeping bag you'll find your sleeping bag lofts up a lot better a lot better afterwards and you'll just be a lot warmer and as soon as you the thing is as soon as if you're cold inside your sleeping bag your sleeping bag is not going to get dry and nothing else is going to dry and you're just going to be miserable but the more you can like gener generate that heat and get the the more body heat you create, the drier you sleep, make your sleeping bag. The drier your sleeping bag, the more it insulates you, the more the warmer you get. So it's this like um, cycle where everything starts drying out. So like a like a, a, a good thing in the past was where you you know if you if you got like really damp if you got really damp uh, like shell gear is if you just like lay it if if you lay it sort of face down underneath your sleeping bag. And you lay on top of it, like, if, like the, if it's you know, although it's, you wouldn't think it's a good idea, but it actually dried everything out because your your body's like laying on top of it, and some of that moisture went into your sleeping bag, and then it just went out your sleeping bag again if you were nice and warm. So, so yes, yeah, so I I find that system works uh, really well. Um, is is rather than thinking like, you know, two of us in a, in two separate bivy bags and we're both really really cold. And we've got all our clothes on inside our sleeping bags, and we're not really warm. We're still not warm, and you know we're all you know freezing, and it's just a, you know a horrible night's sleep. It's just it just bang all those clothes out on the top of your sleeping bag. You'll your skin will dry better. Like just having drier skin is going to make you warmer. You know, not having loads of condensation trapped in your layers is going to make you warmer. And it just it's just being able to share the body heat between you and your partner underneath this layer of clothing is going to make a massive difference as well like a human body gives off i think it's like one the same heat as one bar of electric fire and if you're really desperate you can always like spoon together and the 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 warmth you get from another person when you're spooning together uh is like is like pretty pretty impressive you know so so yeah, so that's uh, but yeah, but just have realistic expectations, like of all this kind of stuff. Have realistic realistic expectations, and I would also also carry a brush. Any kind of winter camping, sub zero camping, always carry a little brush. One of those little yellow brushes you see in camping shops are quite good, like a snow brush, a snow brush, and uh, that's quite good for like brushing the snow off everything and just trying to brush it so it doesn't melt onto you and onto your sleeping bag, and. Uh, and everything else. Uh, I think I had a little. I had a little. Uh, I had a little thing that actually. I, so I wrote, there's an, on my blog. There's a, there's a blog post called. It's like the review of the MSR ten. It's like MSR. Something pro, pro rodeo or what it's called. But I just I just I just grabbed this. So I'm just going to read this out because again I'm I'm learning to read. So I'm trying to. Uh, so yeah. So this is this is this is this is just like a little bit about. Insulation. I might just be telling you exactly what I've just told you already. So anyway, this is called insulation protection. One of the best lessons in using single wall tents, with or without bivy bags, is to try and move the dew point beyond the inner or the outer layer of your bags in order to stop them wetting out, as well as protect your bags from condensation and ice showers from the fabric above. Yes, that's another thing. If you get a lot of ice building up inside your tent, is when you move around, it starts like showering down onto you. Sometimes in quite big, big chunks of it, which will uh, wet out your sleeping bag. And this is this is a this is a really big problem if you use a uh, a fly sheet on a portal edge in sub-zero temperatures because the ice literally just like builds up like mass, like you know, like really you can get some big chunks of ice up there. 
this is best done by spreading your shell and belay jacket or any spare clothing over the top of your sleeping bags rather than wearing them. Having matching clothing, say you both have Das Parkers, is a great as you can zip clothing together to form a larger piece, right zipper on one jacket and left zipper on the other. Or you and your partner can sew small 5mm Velcro tabs behind the zippers or connect clothing via Velcro patches on the wrist, toggles, etc. Yeah, so that's, that's a quite a good, that's a really good bit of advice from myself there to myself is like me and Vanessa, we had this like um, Montaigne made this really good uh, belay jacket, which I helped to, helped to design. I don't think, don't think they make it anymore. I think they make another, another one now called the Spitfire. And uh, because we both had the same jacket, we could zip them together and then you could form like this big, almost like a big quill of a, of a thing that, that, that worked really well. And you could do the same with, you know, like zip the two, zip your two Gore-Tex jackets together. Uh, so it creates like a, you know, a solid kind of thing. And then you can Velcro the whole thing together so it doesn't like slip off uh, in the night. Um, uh, pay close attention to your feet or anywhere where you're pressing against the walls of the tent. Yes, yeah, so that's a good, that's a good thing is try and if you're, it's usually best to keep your, your inner boots, well, you always have to have your inner boots inside your sleeping bag, definitely. Uh, your outer boots, I tend to try and put them underneath my head. I try to put them, uh, like, so the heels, the heels are like like uh, <laughs> Princess Leia's uh, hair in Star Wars. Like the heels of the boots are kind of on either side of your head, so you're like, your head is actually resting on the, the soft parts of the boots. And then that means that your hood of your sleeping bag is just keeping them a little bit warmer. Because if you're if your inner boots free if your outer boots freeze, it can be really hard to get your inner boots into them in the morning. So trying to keep them not you know try to keep them you know dry, uh, and also get into a habit of cleaning, uh, using your brush uh, and using sometimes use a pen knife, and to get off get off every little bit of ice or snow or anything off your off your boots and things, especially. Uh, like if you're having to put your your leather boots inside your sleeping bag, then you have to be like like a super ice Nazi and make sure you get rid of all the tiny bits of snow and ice and stuff. That's kind of a that's a big process on any like big mountaineering route is to be super. It's to always be clear, always clear all the Velcro off everything every day. Um, you know, like just you know, you just don't want like Velcro is a disaster anyway. So, but for some reason, people still put it on everything. Um, uh, yeah, so trying to keep keep your tent, keep your body away from the sides of the tent. So if you've got like a, you know insulated water water bottles, put them down the side. If you've got like food bags, put them down the side. So it kind of presses the two people together and keeps them away from the from the side of the tent, which is uh, which is a good idea. And also, like make sure your tent's pitched so the so the walls are kind of pulling out a little bit, so you they're not like dangling down on top of you. And the and the more stiffer the tent is. The less it's going to rattle in the wind and it's just going to fall on you. This approach not only keeps your bags much drier, vital on multi-day climbs, but also adds a great deal of warmth. There's also a good approach when cooking in the tent, when you, which can produce a lot of condensation. Yes, yeah, so condensation. The main thing is try to avoid ever doing like a rolling boil on anything. Uh, as soon as it's ready, put it in. You know, put it into your cup or, or whatever. Um, and uh, a rolling boil also, I think it, I think actually the more moisture in the air, I think it actually increases your carbon monoxide uh, danger, I seem to remember. 
Um, yeah, and I think yeah, just that's another good reason to try and keep the condensation and the general amount of wetness in your tent down because that's also like a thing. I think as a as a problem with carbon monoxide poisoning. So, um, did I did I did I cover everything there? I guess I did. Like, so yeah, just I guess just like a a single a single tiny little tent. One of these little tents. I think it weighs like a kilo or something. It's really really light. They're they're really good things to have, like a in like a bothy bag, like a survival bag, is w- one of the best things you can carry as a climber. Like if you're doing any kind of alpine speed climbing, big wall climbing, you know, rock, you know, multi pitch rock climbing. Like if you're carrying a little day pack, you should always carry some kind of, um, you know, he's called it he's called like a Zarsky sack or something. But a little kind of nylon tent thing that you can pull over you is a total lifesaver, like really total lifesaver. Um, and if you have one of those and you have some of the one of these like really tiny plastic, don't, don't bother with those like foil blanket things, they're a disaster. But you can get these little tiny plastic survival bags, but really, really tiny, like size of a you know packet of cigarettes. And, you know, one of those and one of those bags like, could definitely save your life, like you know, over and over again. But if if you know. If, the next the next approach up is to have like some kind of tent and if you're like say you're gonna do like a big alpine sort of route and you want to go super fast and instead of taking like a sleeping bag you know tell us if you know you've got a sleeping bag that weighs a kilo and you have a bivy bag that weighs half a kilo and then you have a, the other person's got a bivy bag that weighs a kilo and, and, and you know, anyway basically your entire entire weight of bivy gear is about three kilos you might be better just taking one sleeping bag that's a little bit lighter like a half a kilo sleeping bag and no bivy bag and just a tent just a, like a one kilo tent because you know two people lying side by side in a tent with the sleeping bag over both of them is that is probably going to be more comfortable than two people set side by side you know in a bivy bag when they've got no interaction it's hard to cook and everything else so so yeah so so yeah so yeah, tent, tents are, are really really uh really really great things but you know but they're not they're only bivy tents they're not for like camping you know not right for going around the world camping in them and they also have like a limited lifespan because they're only a single single tent made out of very very lightweight materials but although saying that you can actually repair them very easily because you can see them just repair them with some seam grip i think i once i once went camping with my kids and we had the bibler tent and I think first of all we didn't have any tent pegs, so we just used like knives and forks. So we looked a bit weird in the campsite. And then, but I think we had a barbecue, and some of this, and we left all the barbecue stuff outside the tent. And in the night, loads of crows came, and actually picked loads of holes like through the tent. I was very tired and hear them. So yeah, so we had like a tent with all these holes all over it. And remember, Mick, I think Paul Ramsden was climbing with Mick Fowler, and he said their tent was so wrecked that, you know, you were like on this. You know this mountain in China. I think they won like the Pile d'Or for this ascent. But he said they could feel like the wind like blowing through all these holes all over the tent. So, so yeah. So, yeah. Real ex- realistic expectations. That's probably a good. That's a probably a good motto for life, really. So yeah, uh, for all you black pilled people out there, have some realistic expectations about life. So I shall call that a day, and I shall. Uh, ramble on and uh, I think on th- on Thursday stroke Friday I'm going to talk about the issue of failure there's a few people asking me about failure uh, <laughs> for some reason anyway so that's it signing off Annika Patrick
Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.